Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Threshing and Pressing, Processing the Harvest. For any further information about this service or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. You know, last week I had said something about, uh, we're talking about the field and the, uh, the subject matter of the week of Sukkot, you know, that, you know, we have a field. There's a, there's a, there's a sphere, um, a metron, to use a New Testament word, but there's spheres of influence that God gives you that um, we're all to be out in our sphere Outstanding in your fields. You're all called to be outstanding in your field. <laughs> Sorry, cheap joke. Everybody's like, I need more coffee. So anyways, this week we've got a lot of people out. <laughs> I gave permission. I was like, you know, you should skip a Sunday every once in a while and get into a, a particular uh, people group, you know, an interest group or whatever it is God's calling you into or where he's sown you because God has actually sewn you into a group. Right now, can anybody raise your hand if you're aware that there's a sphere of influence that Jesus has actually been turning the soil over in your life somewhere? Is anybody aware of that? That's not necessarily the church because this is also a sphere of influence, but well, amen. So Pastor Matthew um, uh, Pallant is doing another Ironman today. So that's his sphere of influence. So he's just now got his hands on the plow and digging. You know, he's making relationships. He doesn't yet know too many people in that arena, but he, God is going to give him lots of fruit in that space. So um, anyways, uh, yeah, this uh, weekend has been full already. We, me and Lauren drove to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma uh, yesterday. Was that yesterday? Day before yesterday, I, the last three days, I, I can't tell if there was a night and a day. <laughs> but we, we uh, one of our sister churches, Broken Arrow, Catch the Fire, they're, they're also, uh, they're called Harvest Church. And the pastors there, Rich and Anita Manganero, they are apostolic, our direct apostolic oversight in Catch the Fire. And they have Duncan and Kate there right now. So if you didn't watch the, or see the email, watch the video, we were on the road and uh, drive, we drove all the way there uh, Friday evening and then I jumped in a car and drove to a lake south of Tulsa to be with a bunch of guys for a men's retreat where Duncan spoke three times. So, uh, and, then we, and then I played golf. Yes. <laughs> I played at golf. I don't really play golf. I play at golf, but I smell like digging ditches, you know. <laughs> so, but it was fun. Uh, but yeah, worship on a day after golf, you're like trying to do this number. Um, so last week, uh, we talked about some of the, uh, fulfillment implications in Christ of the feast of ingathering or the feast of booths as it's referred to in the old Testament. And, uh, the subject matter was all about knowing that you have a, a sphere or a field, a, um, place where God has given you influence and how he wants to tabernacle with us, not just here. It's easy when we have a worship band. It's easy to 
find that place where we dwell as one in the spirit with God when we're here and everyone else that is doing the same thing is here and we have guitars and uh, uh, the synthesizer and all that going in the background. But, you know, God actually wants to be in the field. He wants to be in your sphere of influence and actually tabernacle with you there. He wants you to experience the indwelling. And I had used uh, a passage, actually just kind of referred to Matthew 9 through 11, the story of Jesus sending out his disciples and training them, giving them authority over unclean spirits, giving them authority over diseases, and sending them out. And I really love chapter 11. It starts by saying that once he sent them out, because the subject matter started at the end of 9 with laborers needing to be sent into the harvest, once he sent them out into the harvest, well, then he went to their towns and preached the gospel of the kingdom to every one of their cities. And so there's this reality that I really want to focus in on that God has got us dwelling on is the indwelling of Christ, this relationship that we have with Jesus, uh, the reconciliation that we have in Christ, this He took upon sin on himself so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's more than just a hat trick. It's more than just uh, a card punch uh, for us to have escaped the wrath of God, so to speak. It's bigger than that, that he actually trades places with us where he begins to live our life as we live his. And it's the most incredible thing. Um, As I was watching Duncan speak, I was just eating it up because... He uses different language to say the same, <laughs> say the same stuff. Uh, but he was, ref- he talked about, he quoted Carol Arnott. Uh, so John and Carol Arnott are the founders of Catch the Fire. And Carol would say, uh, you know, sometimes you just need to step back into Jesus before you step forward. And I love that John and Carol just developed this relationship with the Lord where they learned how above all else, the greatest thing that they did was to learn how to step back into Jesus before they step forward. And um, I think sometimes when we start making our argument about the new man and that sort of thing, it, it's easy to think about our life in Christ as uh, we've been justified or forgiven. We've been given the, the righteousness of God uh, because we believe in Jesus. We said the prayer so that faith is what God calls righteous, but it's easy to slip off into an understanding of that, that it just happened when I received the Lord. But as you know, that faith in Christ is not just that thing or even this people group that you ascribe to. It's, you know, like uh, if someone is to come do a poll and say, you know, what's your religious affiliation? And you check the box and say, Christian or Jewish or Muslim or whatever. It's so much more than that. The reconciliation of God and Christ is that the body of Christ would be manifesting the person of Christ all over the planet. And you're not going to get there by trying harder and by looking at everything Jesus did and going, oh, I'm going to try to do that and just running out every day and try to do that. And we've been probably teaching you that for years and years from the pulpit. But this is not exactly that. This is having an indwelling of the Holy Spirit having an indwelling with Christ to where we just let him be who he is in us. And, you know, I've been talking about this a lot lately, so you're like, something new, something fresh maybe? 
But, um, you know, so I had a really packed week, and I thought, looking at my calendar, the Lord spoke to me months ago, and he said, hey, Sukkot actually falls on uh, two Sundays, because today's the last day of the Feast of Booths for the Jewish people. And he said, you're going to teach on that. Didn't tell me what, he just, but this, I'm talking months in advance, so I just wrote myself, because I, I write the schedule for who speaks, and uh, me, me, Sukkot, Sukkot. <laughs> so last week we talked about the Feast of Ingathering, but um, I had planned on uh, doing the living water, and Brad, three weeks ago, preached the exact message that I was going to preach, because that was would have been just perfect, you know, because he... He brought in the fact that in John chapter 7, it says on the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood up in the temple and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I I will give him living water. You know, that the spirit, he was referring to the spirit that whoever drinks of this water, you know, mashing together the woman at the well, that rivers of living water will pour out of him. So, you know, the Ezekiel 47, the temple with the water, all the verses, it preached everything. So I thought, Lord, what am I going to do now? Because uh, uh, I knew that my schedule was very busy. But Friday morning when I got up and spent time with the Lord, it just hit me like, bam, okay. So I want to talk about processing the harvest. I want to talk about the subject matter of threshing and pressing. So our text is the same as last week. So last week our main text was from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 starting in verse 13. I'll give you a minute to turn there in your Bible. You know, John chapter 8, there was more to that story about the last day of the feast. John chapter 8, Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Who comes to me will not be in darkness. And... uh there's a Sukkot reference in that because one of the practices of Sukkot was that they would, on the last day, light a fire. And Paula could tell this better than me, but even the priests would then take off their, their garments and throw them on the fire to cause this raging fire for the sake of light as the sun's going down and as it's getting dark um, to remind them that the Spirit of God illuminates the way and remember stepping in back in time, connecting to the pillar of fire in the wilderness. There's something about, uh, we've been over this, but even the songs that we sang today, there's something about the eternal nature of God. Realize that you received eternal life, that when Moses actually cared enough to say, but you're confronting me and talking to me, but who are you? What's your name? And the Lord said, I am. The, the I am is not the greatest translation for us, but it's, it was bigger than just I am. It, it really means I am who I am. I am who I was and I am who I will be. It's this eternal nature of God that everything about God and every his people and his practices and his word has this element about it that we step into eternal life. And so as we talk about the feasts and the festivals, specifically Sukkot this week, there's this thing that he's always had his children to do is to remember what God has done, to reenact 
to bring that into the presence by actually doing prophetic acts, by doing these things. I don't have any um, visuals today, I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually have a wine press that was my great-grandfather's. I'll talk about that later, but it's really heavy, and we're short on time. But there's this remembering, reenacting, and looking forward to the future. That's a rehearsal for what is coming. And it's all about extreme joy. I mean, think about everything that is not joy in your life is usually a case of brokenness and lack. Everything that would cause us to have a frown instead of a smile. And think about the God of the universe saying, I have chosen you to be my kids, and there's not any obstacle in this physical world that I can't overcome, and I just want to be with you. And as we dwell together, we'll walk victoriously through every challenge in life. Now, that's the reason to celebrate. If I did it before, let's talk about testimonies now. If I did it before, let's dwell on the fact that he could do it again and will do it again as we step into who knows the possibilities, but we'll look at some of the things that he's promised. So Deuteronomy 16, just warming up. I haven't had much sleep. Starting verse 13, we read this last week. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Uh, back in those days, they didn't know exactly what day it would end on, but it was really important for everyone to gather the harvest as quick as they could and process the harvest, um, and then the feast could begin. And later they came up with the exact days, but that was part of the equation was they weren't sure exactly which day to get started. But it was after we actually, they would actually process uh, the harvest itself. And you should rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. God's heart and his nature towards his kids hasn't changed. It's just us getting aligned up with what he's doing to actually experience a harvest and the goodness of God so that everything that you do will be absolutely blessed and incredibly abundant and fruitful. And I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm just talking the Word of God here and the nature of our generous, overflowing, abundant God. I'm, I can tell you I've tasted of it and I, I would never want to go the other way. Even when He asks us to sacrifice. You know, you sacrifice with the ability uh, to, to not even worry about it because you know that He's got everything you need covered. But this first verse you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press. So last week I talked about God doesn't deliver us. He didn't deliver the children of Israel from hard labor and slavery and bondage and oppression just to take, him out, take them out into the wilderness to die, he actually brought them out of those things so that they could step into a land, a good land, an inheritance, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, and to actually walk every step of the way partnering with the power and the Spirit of God to see the miraculous on the earth so that the whole world would take notice of our God, Yahweh. Versus the gods of the nations. And the Lord did amazing things. But think about our salvation experience and how the Lord, He starts with delivering us. He's always delivering us from death, hallelujah. But He started with delivering us as we receive Christ from our own sickness and bondage and the oppression of the enemy and our partnership with deeds of darkness, so to speak. But he didn't just do that so we can go, wahoo, I'm a free person and not have any kind of place to land. No, he's actually training us through seasons of our life as he takes us into the promises of God so that we can live in a place with abundance. And so much of these festivals uh, center around agricultural uh, realities like having fields and having harvests. Well, we've talked about the harvest. So if you have a promised land so that you can have a field, you have a field so that you can have a harvest. You have a harvest so that you can reap it, but you reap it not to watch it rot in the barn. You actually reap it so that you can process it. And you process it so that you can enjoy it together. So we're talking about a harvest of grain and a harvest of grapes. We've got a threshing floor and a wine press. Last week we talked about, do you realize you have a field? Do you have a sphere of influence? Do you also realize that not only do you have a field, but you have a threshing floor? Because it wouldn't do you any good to have a field without a threshing floor. It wouldn't do you any good to have a vineyard without a wine press. Y'all get where I'm coming from? This is what he spoke to me Friday morning and just bam. The deal is often we get to the threshing floor. We're like, somebody going to do that? <laughs> you know, this wheat really needs to be threshed. Oh, wait a minute. Let's see. Somebody in the church, that's their gifting. It's not my gifting to pray. So when we talk about threshing, I'm talking about intercession. Now, I want you to remember, as we talked about indwelling this um, abiding in him, this staying in his presence out in the field, because that's what Sukkot is about. Uh, I think that there's too much spiritual abortion going on where we may be happy to rake in salvation or touch somebody, but there's a whole process that goes on after you've delivered the word or whatever, uh, seen someone say a prayer, uh, that you actually see that get processed. You see relationships and discipleship begin to happen, and it doesn't happen outside of a threshing floor and a wine press. So I want to talk about the threshing floor. Hmm. I just think for too long, I've grown up in church in all kinds of churches. I shared that a couple of weeks ago. Um. We have a tendency uh, to put metrics, measurables on Christian success. So I love what Jerry said. It's, it's not really ours to worry about the counting. It's, it's ours just to follow through. And let the Lord worry about that. We, as a matter of fact, it, it's just, a, I'm going to paint this picture of it's how it's allowing him to do what he does. 
instead of you feeling like you have to strive to make these things happen. It's just this continual yes, Lord. It is so exciting. It's just the best lifestyle ever that God has designed for us to live in Christ Jesus. But I think that we get in church circles and often uh, we, we have done this in the past and I, I don't want to be judgmental, but it's easy to fall into a measurable where we feel like we're actually accomplishing something and, and we'll check off. We got so many salvations, you know, and I ascribe a, a number over here. We got so many baptisms in the Holy Spirit. We got so many uh, water baptisms. We got so many um, people in the pews. You know, we, we have measurables and metrics that we tend to gravitate towards to make us feel better about ourselves. And yet, I don't think that was really what the Lord, he's not worried about the metrics. That's his problem, not our problem. But what is up to us is to actually look forward to the day because our rehearsal that we're doing is for the day when we're all at the table together. And I shared some stories about some of the people I used to work with where there's such a feast with so much joy that it's just ridiculous. I I can't even, I don't think words can capture what it's going to be like on that day. I I just release, what am I doing? I need to pray. (laughs) Father, we love you. Thank you, God, for this amazing reality, Lord, that we discover daily, that we get to live in you, Lord, that we've exchanged places, Lord, that you've taken our sin and our shame and our guilt into yourself and you've crushed it on the cross and in the resurrection you rose to new life and you took us with you, God, and we are seated with you in heavenly places. Lord, I'm asking this morning, Holy Spirit, that you fall afresh on us. Lord, that you give us revelation and insight, Lord, to your word and to the indwelling that is taking place daily where you dwell inside of us, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. If that's your heart's desire, just just tell them, more, Lord. What more of you, God? Hallelujah. Amen. All right, I want to look at Romans chapter 8. It's got to be one of the most phenomenal chapters in the whole Bible. It, It is just incredible. It's eschatological. It's practical. It's comforting to know that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's how it starts. I'm going to bounce around in there just a little bit. Uh, Verse 22 is where I want to start. We quote this a lot when we're talking about eschatology or the, the end times, so to speak. But verse 22 through 27, so verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors. So put your finger on the whole creation groans and labors. With birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our body. We're not waiting for the day we die where we'll fly away. We're actually waiting for a resurrection, for the age to come, the new heaven and the new earth that touch down 
where only righteousness dwells. For we were saved in this hope. (laughs) It's not about something else. It's literally about that. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? We're not done yet. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So there's a little bit of workout ahead. <laughs> we have any workout? Joseph? Noah? What would you call that? CrossFit? <laughs> Perseverance. The guys with the muscles in the back. (laughs) I could use some of that. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit. In my notes, I've got them underlined. Likewise the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, who's that? Jesus. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you realize that later in this chapter it talks about Christ is before the throne of God interceding for us? So if in the reconciliation, there's this exchange that uh, he became sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Like I said, where we dwell and where we should spend our time and energy is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because we're seated in him, right? We're, We're in Christ Jesus. What's he doing up there? He's walking around the altar and he's praying for the saints. He's concerned. We're not done yet. They're not not all here yet. Not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. So I'm saying that we have a threshing floor. Threshing floor is a a place of, of intercession. And you know, I think it's easy to say, well, that's not my gift. You know, I'm an evangelist or whatever. No, everybody's got a threshing floor. If you've got a harvest, if you've got a field, you've got a sphere, you've got a threshing floor. I love intercession. Everybody say it. I love intercession. Come on. I love intercession. So when I was uh, working on cars, there was this phenomenon. When I worked on the line, that's what we called it. Uh, I worked in a car dealership, and man, we worked on a lot of cars. And uh, when I was young uh, in my career, I remember that uh, there was this phenomenon that the boss always complained about. And, and basically, there was three stages to the car repair. The first one was to take the car apart and assess all the damage. We call that a teardown. The second one was after... The teardown, when the insurance company and all the people did all the paperwork and all the parts were ordered, the the car would sit outside in the meantime. The second phase was, okay, it's go time. Let's put it together enough to get it painted. But you couldn't put everything on it because if you put everything on it, then you wouldn't be able to paint it right. You know, there would be lines. So to do a really good job, that's how it is. You take the raw parts over there. Well, so in that, we called it being in the metal shop. In that process, if you had a bent frame, uh, 
or something not right. Everything needed to be repaired in, in that process so that after it's painted, we had the step that was called the trim out. And that's when you put the car all back together and you go, ah, it's a beautiful thing. Everything fits. But often what guys would do, and this is kind of uh, indicative of human nature, was that we'd put all the emphasis on the front end and even on the middle ends because you got, I don't know, uh, 10% or 5% to get it started. And then you got paid, because we only got paid for what we did. You got paid uh, 75% of the money on the job in that process. Well, there's not too much accountability when it goes over to the paint shop uh, other than you got to have all your stuff that ought to be painted. It looks good, but if you didn't do the first step right or the second step right, when, by the time you got to the trim process where you put it all back together, uh, you know, you close the, the trunk lid and it slams up against the quarter panel and paint flies off and the taillights don't fit, they don't line up and the bumper won't go on and uh, you know, the, the headlights, all that, not, nothing, or you didn't write your, your paperwork out first, and then you're like, oh, I'm sorry, boss. I f- <laughs> These guys work at my body shop. Uh, I'm sorry, boss. I, I forgot. I, I, I overlooked it. It needs this part and this part and this part. Oh, you mean now we have to stop and start all over again and call back Mr. Insurance and tell him we need more money because we were in such a hurry to make our 75% here. We didn't really care about what happened at the end. It's somebody else's problem. And so I learned early in my career that it was kind of a burden. And every all the guys, the way they talked in the shop was, oh, trim outs. Oh, I got this trim out. And they'd avoid it and make excuses and try to get the painter to keep painting stuff. Oh, I forgot this part and take it over there so that they could plan it around their work week so that they could get maximum amount of money and then deal with the the reaper on, on Monday, you know, I'll, I'll fix that next week. And that puts the shop in a bad place, the customer in a bad place, the insurance in a bad place because production's important because rental cars cost money. Okay, now you know a lot about body shop. Everybody hated trim outs. Everybody hated trim outs. And I remember thinking, what a burden this is. And the Lord said, start saying, I love trim outs. And so I just changed my language. I started speaking to myself. Do you realize that you can actually program your heart? Especially when God says program your heart. I I told myself, I love trim out. No, I love trim outs. And you know how I started loving trim outs? It wasn't just mind over matter. I started taking seriously the first step and the second step. Making sure that by the time I got to the third step, I'd be done like that. So that the testimony of the people that would come around like the pinstripe guy, because the pinstripe guy comes out and he spends three hours or whatever laying down a, a pinstripe and then you do it wrong and then they have to repaint it and then he has to come back out and do it again and he only get paid to do it once. Pinstripe guy used to say, you're the fastest trim man out there. Like I'm in all the body shops. You're the fastest guy and you smile when you do it. Whew. I love intercession. See, you get the produce on the other end, but you start at the very beginning with prayer and with walking in life with people that sometimes hurt you when 
You're walking with him. And that's what the wine press is. Let's keep reading in Romans. Okay, actually, I'm bouncing back a few verses, okay? So Romans 8, 12. Starting verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. I don't like that word. Paul informs us that we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's that verse in Galatians that talks about the Spirit lusts after the flesh and the flesh after the Spirit? But if you walk according to the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. My youth pastor set such a good foundation in me when I was a kid. He said, um, it's not like the flesh and the Spirit are in pink tutus chasing each other around the room. That's not what that means. That means there's a war going on inside of us. That the Holy Spirit is going to win if we let him. Because he wants to do what he wants to do. All you have to do is step back into Jesus before you step forward. And let him do what he's going to do. But it's like we owe it to the Lord who bought us. There's a subject matter of just uh, being a bondservant of Christ. Does anybody identify that way? I'm a bondservant of Christ. Does everybody know what bondservant means? It's like it's a slave that's been set free that said, no, but I love my master. And I love my master's family. And I really don't want to leave the house. I, I mean, this is a great situation. And then the master would take, say, all right, come on over here. And he put his ear to the door and even put a nail in his ear signifying that I'm a bondservant. And Paul constantly referred to himself as a bondservant of Christ. We're not slaves. We get to. Because his house is way better than any other one that I'm going to find anywhere. I love his family. Uh, where was that? But if you, for if you, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I belong in this house. Can you imagine being an orphan and being adopted and being so in love with the father that loves you so much that you're not just like adopted father. No, you're crying out, Daddy. And that's the relationship that we have with the Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Here's the part that kind of makes you stumble a little bit, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Suffering can look like so many things. You know, we're not being persecuted like the early church. For them, that was a pretty real deal. It's like, uh, I may not want to testify 
or identify with the Christian community because they're doing horrible things to those people. But for them, they had to press through anyways. You know, suffering for us means yielding to the Holy Spirit no matter what. It's just saying yes to God. And what I'm getting at is that often as we're threshing, we're, we're, we're in our field and we're actually praying through and interceding for those people, but we get into people's lives and we love them constantly and put up with them <laughs> as, as they become mature in Christ. Because if we're all only concerned about the metrics and checking the box, often they get left behind. And you turn around and the pews are empty. Where is everybody? They need to be prayed for, interceded for. They need to be walked with and they need to be loved like Christ loves them even when they poke you. (laughs) Hurting people hurt people and they're a little prickly. But you'll find that when you allow the Lord to just be the Lord and you take that pain before the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender. I'm going to choose to love him anyways. I'm going to keep praying for him. That we get caught up in this amazing place where you find yourself before the altar of God with Jesus, interceding on the behalf of the saints. So, I I wish I had my grandfather's wine press. So, my my great-grandfather... during the Prohibition years, uh, had a basement, and, and they were in Chicago, and he was a working man. I think he worked in a factory. I'm trying to Kimberly Clark, something like that, where they made toilet paper and those kinds of things. But anyways, he, uh, you know, being an immigrant from Italy, uh, he lived in the neighborhood in Chicago that they call Little Italy. And uh, people would come over because, you know, having wine was illegal, but he would be... Uh, in his basement, and so I've got it. It's about this tall, and it's like a big metal screw on top with a basin and a and a, and a funnel-type thing on the end, uh, and then there's wood slats that go around it, you know, uh, to make like a bucket, so to speak, and and um, and then a piece of wood shaped like a, like a moon with a hole in the center that you'd put down, and I don't think I ever got the screw. I think there's a screw on there that you would mash the grapes. Anyways, my grand, great-grandfather would, would make homemade wine and share it with his neighbors. And uh, what an amazing picture of as we do life with our community and with our neighbors, that the things that we allow uh, the Lord in us to walk through, the, the, the hurts and the offenses to constantly forgive and to lay that down, it's like, it's like the wine press just squeezing out really great wine because it's so worth it. Think about all the relationships that we've had, people we've walked with. Man, people get offended. I mean, we're all people, okay? And we all get offended. But we can get offended about the silliest stuff. Half the time, whoever said whatever they did, whatever, it's not even what they meant. And because of whatever we've got going on inside of ourselves, we misunderstand and just you know, like in football, blow the whistle and throw the yellow flag out there. Maybe even the red one I want to replay. <laughs> and, and relationship stops. It's like we stop the press, hold the press. I don't want to be squeezed right now. 
Because it's, it, the Lord said, look, part of this forgiveness deal is you have to. I can't forgive if you don't. And it's not because he's playing up there like, well, that's just the rules. Them's the rules. Them's the breaks. No, it's because that's what he does. Because for us to even enter into his life, the life of God, eternal life, is he's opened himself up in forgiveness. And he said, come on in here. And living inside the fullness of God being in us, that's what the word says, is that he opened himself up to us and we open ourselves back. And we're in this cycle with him of receiving and giving love. Never ending cycle. It's a beautiful thing. But there's a pressing, a squeezing that, that happens. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The us means plural. The glory that will be revealed in us. Often we talk about the us and it's always me in the mirror. It's not me in the mirror. No, you're the mirror. The glory, I'm looking around, I see the glory of God all over this room. Anything that we could possibly go through as we bear with one another is not even worthy to be talked about in the same sentence as the glory of God that is radiating out of each and every one of you. When we learn how to forgive, love each other, and actually pray each other through to victory. There's a table that we'll all partake of. Hallelujah. It's about fellowship. So as we focus and we think about this idea of having a harvest so that we can actually produce the harvest, and you produce the harvest so that you can have fellowship, the basis of our communion and our fellowship is bread and wine. That's what you do with grain and grapes once they've been produced. It's so that you can be together in the indwelling, in the tent of Sukkot, sitting around a table. That's another element of Sukkot to have a little table. I forget what it's called. But it's, it's like not too far off the ground. Think about Jesus on the night that he was betrayed and having the meal with the disciples. They were reclining at table. That's a whole lot of comfort. A whole lot of being family that happens if we're laying around on that level sharing together but I want to take communion together and yes it's the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus the bread and the wine but as we take it and ingest it into ourselves we receive it for the forgiveness of God and the washing and the cleansing but we're also embracing that as part of our own lives that Christ would live that life through us to be processed for those of us. So why don't you make your way to the front of the back? We've got the elements and we're going to take communion together.
elements. Can we just be willing today to embrace even that part of the Lord's life? Part of walking in the Spirit is allowing the Lord to to be who He is. To be that, that laid down lover, to quote Heidi Baker. To love others, to just lay our lives down for one another. the gospel Jesus we're so grateful Lord you did what no one else could do and in doing so you became the first fruits of a new creation Lord, and you've called us first fruits as well. Lord, as we receive your body, we thank you for all that you've done, Lord. And we just step into the reality of suffering alongside of you with those that you love. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't look like persecution. yet it's the same thing for us, Lord, to give up our will and our pride and our right to be angry or just right to be right and wrong. Lord, as we take this bread, we receive all of you. Not just the free stuff, Lord, but all of it. So you take the bread with me. is the blood it makes me white as snow (laughs) Jesus thank you for what you did again in cleansing us and purifying us with your blood but allowing yourself to be squeezed and poured out and loving us and forgiving us anyways Lord as we take the cup in gratefulness we also Lord Embrace the work of the Holy Spirit to do the same with our neighbors and our families and our loved ones. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release all unforgiveness, all offense. I just release it, Lord. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what they've done. And we step into the forgiveness of Christ. Take the cup with me. Everybody put your hands out. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that this week, as we go about our, our, our week, Lord, that you would manifest yourself, that you would come, that you would speak. I'm asking for dreams and for visions. 
maybe even audible voice of God. Would you show us, Lord, what it looks like to have a threshing floor and a wine press? So that we can celebrate the most incredible miracle ever, Lord. And that's all of us being united together in you. To celebrate all that you've done. So, Lord, I'm asking for the miraculous. I just release the miraculous in this room. Release the miraculous over you guys to walk in power this week. In Jesus' name. Do you receive it? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.